Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 71 of State of the Game, the golf podcast that talks about stuff that matters. I'm Rod Murray, and what matters in the first full week of April is, as always, the year's first major. Yes, the Masters, less than a week away, and today it's going to be a real pleasure to chat about what might unfold at Augusta National with a very special guest, 2006 US Open winner, Jeff Ogilvie. Before we bring Jeff in, though, let me introduce my co-hosts. As always, from the US, blogger, critic, architect, and I think chip muncher today. Jeff Shackleford, is that you crinkling some chips in the background? Just preparing. It's the dinner hour here. <laughs> I'm allowed to eat a little something. You know, it's just going to be a, a very lively chat. I need some nourishment. Indeed. Well, the amount of the amount of places you bob up these days, Shaq, I'm surprised you'd, you'd have any time at all to have meals. So you're more than welcome to finish up. It's going to be great to talk to Jeff Ogilvy today, as always, won't it? Yes, absolutely. And from here in Australia, the always entertaining and thoughtful writer, commentator, former player, and one part of the Ogilvy Clayton Cocking and Mead design firm, Mike Clayton. Clates, you've done all the legwork here to organise Jeff to have a chat to us mid-tournament, might I say. Well done on that, and looking forward to chatting to you and Jeff today. Yeah, thank you, Rob. I thought Jeff might be in a better mood having finishing birdie par the last couple of holes to round out a not great day, but not too bad. Not too bad. The man who needs a little introduction, you've just mentioned there, must be said, what, the only one of the four of us with any chance to make it to Augusta National this year, Jeff Ogilvy. Jeff, halfway through the Houston Open, not the round you wanted today, no doubt, you're a ways back, but anything can happen in this game and you're playing the weekend. I am playing the weekend, yes, but the, the kid I played with, Kang, uh is playing some sort of golf this week, so he's going to take some catching. I didn't know you were playing with me. He's six ahead, 16 under. Next best is 10, so it's one of those kind of tournaments. It's uh, That is some kind of golf. 63 today, 64 yesterday, I think, from him. Yeah, I don't know uh, if they still get these stats. I mean, Shaq probably knows, like, the, the footage hold or, like, how many feet of putts you hold in 36 holes, but I've never seen anything like it, ever. Uh, ever. Oh, that's good to know. I'll watch for the, the shot link guy's usually do some pretty amazing stats on that uh so i'll keep an eye out for that yeah they they love that kind of stuff the feet really made nice. and all that stuff it's it and that that's where shot link really is amazing when somebody does something like what he's just done um sorry can i just back up that's a huge call you've played a fair bit of golf jeff with some pretty good players over the years you've never seen putting like it i mean I'll, I'd, as i said i'd like to see the stats on it but today there was at least Six putts over 25 feet. Wow. Um, at least. It was incredible. And yesterday was pretty similar. And he was walking them in too, old school. Gary Player, it was four <laughs> feet out. He was just walking. Oh, through. wow. It was, uh, he, was, he was feeling it. It was impressive. That's nice. And that, I suppose, the downside, it makes you, no matter how well you're playing, you shot 68 yesterday, it wasn't a bad score. No matter how well you're playing, kind of makes you feel a bit pedestrian, I'd imagine. Well, that's it. I mean, he's 16 under, and Zach Blair I play with, he's 8 under, but he was 3 over after 5 yesterday. So he's 11 in his last, whatever that is, 30 holes, and uh, Kang is 16 under. So I was, I didn't play very well today, but it felt like I was playing completely awful. Yeah. Um, and when I finished, I truly, I had like a 10-foot putt in the ninth hole to, to finish 3 under, and I actually thought that I might have needed 3 under to make the cut. That's how easy it looked playing with those two guys, and it turned out even par was a cut. So that's how much your playing partners can distort your perspective of how the course is playing. Greg, Greg Chalmers tweeted, Kang hold 163 feet of putts today. Today? Wow. So that's pretty, 163 putts, 163 feet of putts is pretty good. Yeah, I guess that's pretty good. Yeah, it was <laughs> unbelievable. That. It goes no, always Impressive. Yeah, if you hit a few greens, it uh, it adds up to some pretty good numbers. Just on this week, Jeff, before we start talking about next week, and I know it's a favourite topic for all of us, but uh, for the weekend, uh, Zach Blair's done what he's done. Uh, Kang's done what he's done. Perhaps you're due tomorrow. It's going to be your day. 
Well, I've seen that it can be done. So, um, I mean, the pieces are all there. I've just got to get it done, right? So, uh, I guess we'll see. With the, this, the forecast for Sunday is Armageddon. So, oh boy. Uh, the tea time I just saw come through looks like we're just going to play 18 holes tomorrow because I heard a rumour they might try to do 36 tomorrow. But, oh, wow. Um, it was a big cut, 82 guys or something, so I'd, it wouldn't have worked anyway. So, um, yeah, we'll play Saturday. I think we're going to watch the Storms on Sunday and it may be a Monday finish, which might, which might add a bit of a wrinkle to some people's plans next week. Yeah, of course. And, of course, the week before uh, before the Masters, before a major. Does it feel any different, a tournament the week before the Masters, Jeff? Especially when I suppose for a lot of guys in the field, you know, if you get it done this week, you get into the Masters unexpectedly. It is the very last chance. Is there a different feel to the event or is it just another week happens to be a week before? Uh, yes and no, kind of. I mean, Houston, it's not really the best course we play, um, but they do cut the fairways and the rough as pretty similar to how Augusta is. I mean, I think they get the, they try to get the, the cut heights the same and they cut every blade of grass back towards <laughs> like they do at the Masters. Um, so it's kind of similar hitting off the fairways. So you kind of know that the Masters is next week just because of that's what they do to the course. Mm-hmm. Um, and the media all want to ask about it when you walk off the 18th green and all that stuff. But not really. Um, a little bit. There's a little bit of talk about it and people don't really, there's a, there's a side of the Houston Open, unfortunately, that most people are interested in what's going to happen next week. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's are the favourites getting into form or are there any Hail Marys who, who are going to come out and get that last spot? So, I mean, there's um, it's, there's a lot more interest in next week than this week. Classic double-edged but, sword, isn't when it? You play, when you play the tournament, it's just a golf tournament, you know, so it's a bit of both. Yeah, indeed. All right, well, enough about that. Uh, Augusta National next week, of course, the Masters, and you've touched on a bunch of the stuff that we'll talk about today and that people have been asking you about all this week and everybody else about uh, all this week. Been a couple of years since you were there. Jeff, at this point, sort of a week out from the Masters, as a player and a spectator, what sort of things do you think or are you just into the Houston Open at the moment? Well, this year I'm just into the Houston Open. Um, But if you're playing in the Masters... uh this week is all about getting ready for it, right, I guess. Um, and everybody does that differently. Um, I clearly didn't ever really, or haven't yet, worked out the best way to get ready for it. Um, I don't know if there is anything you can really do to get ready for the Masters, apart from kind of just could get your head your head on right for the, because it's a, uh, you, you kind of, your head space right to play the kind of golf you need to play at the Masters and get your, uh, I don't know, kind of uh, confidence there, really, because if anything, Augusta makes you feel nervous everywhere. And if, if, if you go there with any sort of lack of confidence anywhere in your game, it's going to get exposed very quickly, which is why it's such a great test. So I guess you're just trying to uh, keep doing what you're doing well and get what you're not doing well better. Mm. It's a very different test, isn't it, uh, to what you face week in and week out on the PGA Tour? I mean, there's a few tournaments that stand out as different kinds of tests. Augusta's probably the first one of the year where you go, this is a really different sort of test. Well, it is. And I, was, I mean, golf shots are golf shots. I mean, so in that respect, they're the same. If you're hitting the ball well, then that's a great kind of thing to go into the Masters of hitting the ball well. But you can't prepare for the greens anywhere else except for there. Um, we just don't – there's just nowhere I don't think you can kind of – or nowhere anywhere in the vicinity of Augusta that you can really – prepare for the kind of the, the scale of the break and the speed of the putts you're going to have and kind of the imagination you're going to need. Um, but you can get that down in three or four days. I mean, I know a lot of guys go early and 
play a couple of rounds and I used to do it all the time and hit kind of long putts and just kind of get used to that. It's more of an imagination thing than actually a putting skill thing. You've just got to get that this putt actually really does break 20 feet kind of mentality back into your head because you just don't get that anywhere else. Mm. Um, but I think the most important thing about, about Augusta is, you've, as I said just before, you've it makes you nervous because there's a train wreck on every hole. And when you don't, when you're nervous over the shot, that's when the train wreck comes. And you know that. Um, I mean, just a simple shot like the second shot to the first hole, you hit it over the back and you're going to make bogey or double guaranteed. But if you, if you hit it on the front, I don't know, 10 paces on the green, it rolls off the front and it's a really difficult up and down. So you've got, you can't be shy about not getting it up towards the pin. But if you go over the back, you've got a bad thing. So, I mean, you can't hit shots like that unless you're really, really comfortable and you're really confident about it. So I think it's more of a headspace thing than anything, Augusta. It encapsulates uh, golf beautifully, yeah. doesn't it? Those conundrums you've just laid out, that's what golf is and should be, isn't it? That it's, it's all there for the taking. You've just got to do it. Well, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, it's so wide and it's so welcoming, but when you start trying to have a low score, you start... Uh, you start to be a bit unsure about yourself. That's that's the beauty of that place. It makes you hit shots that you don't want to hit because you have to hit them because if you don't, you're going to have a bad score. Yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a great test. Last one from me, and I'll throw it open to Clayton Shackle. I'm sure I've got thousands of questions as well. I read a piece on Brett Wetterich, Wetterick, I think is how it's pronounced this morning. He led through 36 holes in 2007 and sort of fell apart on the weekend. But he spoke in that interview, Jeff, about playing practice rounds with Raymond Floyd. And Raymond Floyd, Floyd's biggest advice to him was don't wear yourself out early in the week, particularly as a rookie. Don't overdo it and be over it. I mean, the energy that goes into being at Augusta, I imagine that's something that's got to be managed as a player, particularly the first couple of times you go there. I think so, yeah, because it's uh, it's such a big show. I mean, you get to the first tee on Thursday, it's almost a relief um, because all your friends come out of the woodwork when you're in the Masters, you're getting phone calls for two or three months beforehand about tickets. You're working out housing. You find your house. Everybody wants to come over to your house and have dinner and have a few beers. And it's just every every media person you person you walk past. There's questions. Uh, as I said, you've got friends coming from everywhere. All of a sudden, normal golf tournament, you can just go about your business, go to the range, warm up, go to the course and play. It just doesn't work at the Masters. It's very difficult to do that. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday not only do you wear yourself out in the golf course by kind of trying, spinning yourself in knots, trying to work out kind of the mysteries of the golf course, you are just surrounded and bombarded by outside kind of stuff that um, it can wear you down. And if you're not ready for it, it can really wear you down. Plus the first couple of times you're there, you're like a kid in a candy store, right? I mean, it's just like your dreams are coming true. You're at the Masters. You just want to look at everything and you want to be inside the gate from dawn till dusk because you just love being there. Um, it's a trap I think everybody falls into the first couple of times they go there, but um, why not? Why not soak it up? I mean, that's what you practice for. That's what you play for. That's right. Of the four of us, you're the only one who's actually been there and played in the Masters, Jeff. So absolutely, it's a it's a pretty small club and, uh, yeah, would be extremely exciting. Disneyland, Disneyland for grown-ups, I think Lee Westwood called it. I, I know I've said that before, but still one of my favourite lines. Clayton, so I'm going to come to you. What do you want to know about the Masters that Jeff and only Jeff can help us with having been the only one who's played in it. Well, is anyone other than Dustin Johnson going to win? <laughs> I mean, I know you're a big fan of his game and I haven't seen him play much, but obviously he's playing a lot better than anyone else is at the moment. So, you know, as much as you can guarantee someone's going to win a tournament, is, is he a sure bet? 
I don't think he's a sure bet, but I think he's pretty coming close to as sure a bet as Tiger was in that big period when he was kind of going in kind of even money. Um, Dustin versus the field kind of thing. Um, he's he's more likely to win it than anyone else, clearly. Um, he's got an incredible game there. The last time I was there a couple of years ago, I played two, I played 36 holes with him uh, like a week before the tournament. Um, and he just completely annihilated me two days in a row. It was... Um, something to watch. He's uh, and he's clearly better now, and he's confident, and he's got that incredible kind of. Um, he wants to hit good shots, but he doesn't really care if he doesn't, which is like that um, kind of golf ut- mental u- psychology utopia. You know, it's like he's he's. Uh, I mean, I know how to describe I mean, it sounds like a bad attitude, but it's actually a perfect one. He, I mean, he wants to hit it down the fairway, and he wants to hit it on the green. He wants to make birdie, but when he doesn't, he's just like, oh, what are you going to do tonight, AJ? You know, it's like he's so simple and so peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, simple in the way, not in the way you read it down. Um, incredible. I don't know. It's like every year we have a predominant favorite, or very often, and quite often it doesn't work out that way. Mm. So... I would think um, Rory can win the golf tournament anytime he wants. If he if he takes Rory's game there, if Rory can play. I would think he he could do it. He could because he could go scoring record. You know, he's that sort of guy. Um, Stenson and Scotty haven't played very well this week, so they're going to have to find something in the next couple of days. But you know, they probably will. Um, there's a whole host of guys. I mean, Bubba has played terrible this year, but he showed a lot of form, and I heard he got a putting tip from Snedeker at the match play and all of a sudden he's holding everything. So rubber around there would be hard to go past as well. But um, yeah, surely DJ's a favourite. Mm. Just just on Johnson, Jeff, you obviously see him up close and regularly. He looks from the outside to be on an almost totally different golfer. It's like he's learnt, he's always had this incredible physical ability, but he's really learnt to play golf these last 12 months. Is that a fair assessment? I mean, certainly his wedges and 100-yard shots, he's hitting shots now that are just... Well, they're the perfect golf shots, aren't they? Shots he never used to hit. The control of spin and trajectory looks extraordinary. He has this great way of looking at it that like, he really would, I think, kind of sit back at the end of the year or the end of the month or the end of a few tournaments and look back and go, oh, wh- why didn't I do better? Oh, well, I didn't hit close enough with my wedge. I'll just go work on my wedges. And he'll just go work on his wedges without complicating that. He'll just go hit a few more wedges on the range and it'll just naturally get better because he's so, as I said, it's... Uh, He's got a way he goes about it that's kind of unlike anyone I've ever seen. It's um, the psychologist. Every everyone has ever has been hearing people say forever, if he could just get out of his own way, he would be great. Um, and ninety five percent of golfers fight with that. They're constantly in their own way because they think they're kind of smarter than themselves. You know, everyone's always trying to outsmart golf. He he never does. He just uh, looks at a weakness and fixes it. You know, I mean. Um, he kind of had a weakness with his kind of activities off the course, which aren't really a big secret a few years ago, and he just decided, oh, well, that's a weakness, I'll fix it. And he just decided to make the gym his addiction. Um, every single morning, he goes to the gym at like 6 o'clock every morning, and it's not that they're, they're all telling you that you might think it's not true. He is truly going to the gym every morning at 6 o'clock. He doesn't do crazy lifting or um, McElroy or Tiger-type workouts. He just, that's his thing, like, I needed to get better at this, so I'll do it. And he decides to do it, and he just keeps doing it. Um, so as I say, he's just got this this way he goes about it that's very kind of simple and practical and not complicated, 
And you, you pair that with a a gift that I haven't seen many. I mean, he's on that kind of Greg Norman, McElroy, Tiger Woods kind of physical gifted level. Sam Snead even. I mean, he's 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 playing with a with a better deck of cards than most people get dealt. Um, you combine that with the way he's going about it these days, it's um it's going to be pretty hard to beat. And if he keeps doing it, he's going to be good for a very long time. Mm. Yeah, well, f- physically you're right. Gifted, I think. <laughs> so it looks like he fell out of uh, he falls out of bed every day. Just pick a sport and be good at it. Jeff Shackelford, this far out from the Masters, what are your because you're going of course this year. You'll get to see the new media so I'm sure you're excited about that. But uh, media center aside, what do you look at this far out from the tournament? What are you looking forward to? And what does Jeff Ogilvy need to tell us that we can't find? Out? Yeah, the thing I want to hit with Jeff, you mentioned the, the Shell Houston Open does the setup, and it really is a brilliant thing they've done uh, there to make that tournament appealing. Uh, and you mentioned the fairways, Jeff, that they they replicate <clears throat> what Augusta does. Um, I, I'd like to know. The, I don't want to. I don't want to rip the place, but the fairways are not good at Augusta compared to what the the players see uh, the rest of the year. And I think the club knows it. They do it to slow down the drives. But Austin uh, Country Club, where the match play was just played, ryegrass overseed, just like Augusta, but they don't do any of that. They cut them. They're beautiful, and we saw how the ball rolled in the match play. Um, first, do you really believe? How, I mean, it looks to me like visually the way they. They grow the fairway out and push it toward the tee, that it works, it slows down the drives. But what does that do when you actually make contact with the ball uh, or or just slightly miss it to have that kind of a, an intentional grain into you? Uh, it does make it more difficult, for sure. Um, I guess anyone who's played any amount of golf would have kind of worked out at some point that hitting a ball off a downgrain bit of grass is a lot nicer than hitting it off into the grain. Um it's kind of like playing downwind instead of into the wind, you know. Um, it just it, the club goes through faster, it goes through better. It's much harder to miss hit one off down grain. And the Masters, you are basically playing ninety eight percent of your shots unless you hit it onto a different fairway, which can happen. Um, yeah, yeah. You're hitting it, <laughs> and sometimes you do it intentionally, but um, you are into the grain, so it's very easy to fat the ball, like to hit it thick. Um, so early in the week, I've found myself sometimes kind of hitting it a groove lower than I normally would. Not on purpose, but just in that kind of there's a subconscious part in your head, don't don't lay mm. the sod, don't hit a fat. So it, does, it is an adjustment. By the end of the week, you don't notice it. But definitely at the start of the week, um, mm. it is very, very easy to fat it, especially around the green. Little short hit shots, which are the obviously the shots that are easier to kind of hit a little bit fat anyway. Um, those take some practice for sure. I mean, when you, the long irons, I think it's a bit more kind of neutral because it's a more, it's a shallower strike and you tend to fat those clubs less anyway and probably half thinner three irons normally anyway. But um, kind of nine iron down, it's very easy to kind of come up short because you are uh, you catch that one blade of grass before the ball. It's much more penal than it would be if you caught one blade of grass and it was down, down grain. So it, it adds an element of, it does add an element of difficulty. Does that favour anyone, Jeff? Is there a certain type of play? Sorry, Chuck, you go. No, 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 that's a good call. I'm curious to hear that answer. <laughs> Sir Jack came out a few years ago and said, you got to be a picker. I can't play here because I'm a, I go too steep on it or something. I don't hmm. – or whatever he said. He said something about that. Um, uh, you know what? I just favours – I think it favours the guy who can adapt, um, which is the whole point of golf, I think. 
Um, it's not necessarily. I mean, I think generally if you look at history, the, the best players in the world are the guys who have been playing best coming in the Masters usually do really well and often win it. Um, and the best player in the world is usually, or the best players in the world are usually winning on all sorts of different purposes. Um, so I don't think it necessarily suits him. I mean, I, guys will say, I mean, Brandle or someone would break down descent angles and like, launch conditions and stuff. <laughs> I think it would be just more about the guy who can adapt the quickest. Hmm, do you think it'll make the golf course? I mean, it does make it play a lot longer, right? I mean, the 15th hole, a lot of guys, Dustin Johnson would probably hit it to the bottom of the hill if, if he really caught one, right? Well, I mean, in some places, the way we're hitting it now, or, well, the way he's hitting it now, um, you have to. I mean, it'd be going right down the bottom of the hill on two. It'd be going all the way to the McKenzie Bunker on ten. Nine, it would be going down the bottom of the hill. Fifteen, it would be going a long way down the hill. Um, holes like 13 and that, I mean, a lot of the holes, it wouldn't change too much, but the ones that the ball lands on downslopes, um, it tends to keep the ball from, like, scooting too much. So in the way that it makes... It, it makes the course play the right length. Um, so on that side of things, it's good, but it, it is nice that it hit balls off. It is nicer to see a ball bounce, but if the balls did bounce and run, like we kind of see in Austin, and when we saw some of the drives they hit there, it was, uh, it's getting pretty crazy how far people are hitting it. Wedges, how long was that par 512, Jeff Shackelford, down the hill? I think it's 560. I, w- I want to say 586 or 568. One of those two. Three and, it, and it was downhill and downwind. Oh, I know what all that. What was shocking wow. was to watch that the carry, the carry mm. went past what is the end of the fairway, yeah. and then got to a. And there's like 30 yards of rough, uh, light rough, but rough. And then and then a road, and they were they were blowing it over the end of the fairway. It was just, <laughs> and that tee was added, I guess, years ago. Uh, Trip Cuny in a club event teed off on that hole and and and, and reached the lake uh so they added that tee and uh and it still didn't matter they just still i mean it, it, the last day rom had a easy gap wedge into the par five mm. it was just it was silly yeah. i mean obviously it was, it was, keeping in mind it was, they're yeah. the super talents of the time but jeff Ogley, how big's the gap between the johnsons and the the McElroy's, the really long hitters i assume they're the guys who are carrying it a long way in the air that's the the real distance, and perhaps the average and, and less than average guys. How big is that gap, and is it bigger than it used to be? Is their advantage grown, I guess? It feels like the advantage has grown. Um, it seems like you, there's a tipping point with this equipment that you get to a certain kind of clubhead speed with the right sort of launch angles and spin stuff. If you get to the right sort of speed, all of a sudden it's kind of exponential kind of games. It seems like that. It might not be, but it seems like I mean, I've got great play with Norman and that back in the day. I'm sure it seemed like he was using different stuff too. Like I mean he's on another level too. Um and the big hitters always have seen kind of feeling like they're playing a different game than everyone else. But there's probably ten or fifteen guys um that are just crazy long. There's probably a ten or fifteen especially with the carry. There's a lot of guys who can push it well over 300 now clearly but I mean there's there's probably 10 or 12 or 15 guys who can fly at sort of 320 plus whenever they want um, it's uh, it's a pretty big gap I mean especially when I mean you, you're hitting it you get it to I don't know you go in a hole and I, I hit my driver 290 and I've got 200 yards I mean that's a 5 on I mean 160 yards is a 9 on for Dustin so 5 on to 9 on is a big, a big difference you know um 
And when you got a lot of bunkers that are to carry that are they tend to seem to be modern days, they're all about three hundred or three ten to carry. Most guys can't, but then there's as I said that that sort of dozen guys that don't even think about it. So that creates a big gap. The carries are out. Most of have to worry about um, There is a pretty big, there is a pretty big gap, but it's. Uh, I think there's probably more big gap than the big hitters and the normal guys. Just maybe it's just a little bit bigger. Yeah, that carry notion. That's particularly effective at Augusta National. Tom Watson, remember Tom Watson saying a few years ago, you know, he could still play Augusta National, but he just couldn't carry it far enough to compete, you know, because you've got to carry the ball a long ways there. Does that ring true with you? I think it does. I mean, and it's less about the – I mean, normally you would think carries is about kind of dog legs and bunkers to carry over, but it's less about that at Augusta and more about a lot of holes you're kind of getting it whether than up close to, I don't know, fly it up the upslope, your ball just hits and stops. And if you can fly it up the upslope or over the hill and it rolls away, it, again, it's exponential. You gain that much. So carry is pretty important. I mean, keeping the ball in the air as, as long as you can is um is a massive advantage there for sure. Yeah. So ca- I mean, carry is true distance, yeah, I think. I mean, right. a lot of guys who can scoot one and, like, take the spin off it and knuckle one and get a bit of run out there and, Hoy Lake or whatever, and run the ball out to 380 yards. But carry it skill, and it's um, that's a massive advantage. Mm, indeed, it's, sort of, it's the lucky few, isn't it? Clates, we haven't heard enough from you yet. What else did you need to ask Jeff about? Well, I guess it's the, going off now. I saw Shaq on your site this week. The poll question of should the Masters have a variable distance ball? 81% said yes. So I guess you're preaching to the converted a little bit. Well, exactly. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> Is there um, is there ever any hope of that happening? You asking me? Yes. Or anybody? <laughs> um, I, I think it's inevitable that well, I don't know about the variable distance ball. Um, I think it's inevitable that something happens to make it go shorter at some point. Um, it's just going to be, it's just going to have to happen at some point. Um, it might not happen for fifty years, but it's going to have to happen at some point. Um, uh. The variable distance ball would be interesting. I mean, a ball, balls for courses. I mean, Augusta is the sort of yeah. place that could demand it, could just say, right, if you want to play the Masters, Titleist, Bridgestone, Callaway, TaylorMade, this is the ball you make. Like, this is the limits. Go make one like that. We'll give you two years' notice. And in 2019, this is the ball we play. Um, they could do that. Um, and everyone would still turn up. And everyone would still make the golf balls for it because it's the Masters and the Masters is that big. And that's kind of what they do with tennis, right? They, uh, Wimbledon has their own ball and the US Open has their own ball. And they've been adjusting their ball, from what I understand, for quite a long time to, to make it suit the courts and the conditions. Um, it's an interesting... And it's improved the sport, by the way. Well, when, Ro- when Roger's winning every week, it's, that's improving the sport too, right? <laughs> that helps, sure, but it's kept those people around. Somebody made a, a wrote an interesting piece about that, that they felt like that was unfair that it's kept this this group of four or five guys around. But wait a second, isn't that isn't that kind of a good thing that that great players get to have longevity because they're great? I mean, I, I, that's what I worry about in golf, don't you, Jeff? That we we make it hard for that truly special talent to shine. That it that it uh, mutes great skill uh, or at least 
my idea would be rewarding. You would want equipment and the courses to, yeah, reward the skill, not kind of nullify it, if you like. I mean, that's like it's not the Masters, but like the US Open, the long rough, that really long chip out rough, that just brings everybody to the side. Everybody can get a wedge out and hit it out of the rough. That, that, there's zero skill involved. And it's the same kind of idea with, with equipment across the board. I mean, I don't how far it goes is clearly an issue from a golf perspective because you would rather see Augusta play firm fairways and the ball rolling out 30 yards because all of a sudden it would get far more interesting um, to have a ball that you could play or equipment you could play. Um, it would make it more interesting because you could set it up like it was supposed to be set up. Um any, any side of the equipment that enhances skill, that rewards more skill, um, I would be all for. But again, it's just, uh, how, how do you do that? I mean, it's an interesting one. But yeah, I mean, I. Well, it's it's done. Uh, uh, the ball is made. <laughs> um, uh, it's about ten percent or like nine and a half reduction, and they've I, the USGA has been testing it more than I n- realized, and. Uh, they, they, and again, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's one way to play the game. It's not for every golf course. It's not for Aaron Hills. I don't know what's for Aaron Hills, but it, it, it's, it's, they've just, they, they're going to try it. And I think it's great. And I think Augusta will, will implement it and everybody will moan about how they have to adjust. They, they, they forget that they had to adjust when they went to Mexico city and add 10% and somehow, Taking ten percent away will be the most inconvenient thing that ever happens in their lives, uh, and I think it's ridiculous. It'll take good players about a day or two. Is that coming from the uh, players, by Jeff Shack? Is that coming from the players, or is that more so oh, the manufacturers suggesting? What? Wait, wait, what? What's part? Is, are is you that, referring to? I I can't recall touring pros saying that if they reduce the ball by ten percent, that that would be a problem. For them. I've never heard a touring pro. Oh, suggest. I heard that. Yeah, yeah, I heard that from a couple guys at the match play when I okay. we had the kind of discussion and and uh, yeah, and or you hear from the caddies, oh my gosh, the adjustment and like really, you just went to you just went to the altitude and you figured it out. It wasn't that hard. Yeah. Um, it's just resistance. It's it's although I will say and I Jeff, I think I'd love to hear what your thought on this is. And what I've been saying to people is the reason I feel like it's now going to happen is for the first time. Since since we've all been discussing this, you finally talk to good players who don't say it's the course's job to adjust, to add tees, to add rough, to speed up the greens. You finally hear people. I mean, Charles Schwartzel saying, you know, the the time we waste going to the back tees and how it ruins the flow of the round. I mean, I see these astute observations now from a lot of different players, and I, I'd be curious, Jeff, you you because you do a lot of you know chatting in the locker room or or on the range and. Have you seen? Do you see that shift where their their players are a little bit more conscientious of all this and, and the ramifications for the sport? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, nobody should be listening to us first. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a whole podcast that <laughs> forty minutes we'll but never get back. <laughs> we don't look at it neutrally. I don't think objectively. No, that's true. Yeah. Um, it's a self-interest position to ask, but I mean, I guess we, we can chip into the argument. Um, 15 years ago, if I'd said to somebody, the equipment's getting, a, it's getting a bit out of control. Someday the golf course is going to get too long. We'll have to, they, they're going to have to have a look at this one day. Everyone would have looked at me like I was in space. Um, 
Jack came out a long time ago. I mean, Mackenzie said it in the 30s, right? I mean, yeah. But it's been it's been talked about for a long. This isn't a new thing. It's just the last 20 years. It's been a crazy, crazy jump. Um, and I wouldn't just blame the ball. I mean, it's. And I'm not trying to like sort of fire you up, Shaq, but um, oh the uh, yes. To answer the question, if you're in the locker room now, it's definitely being talked about by almost everybody as something that seems inevitable or probably it could be a it would be a good experiment exercise. I mean, it's not um, you're not looked at like you're like completely crazy if you sit, if if you say, look, they might do this. I read this. The USGA is talking about a shorter ball. People are like, oh, that'd be interesting. As opposed to ten years ago, I was like, oh, I'd be crazy. What a joke. What would they yeah. know about it? Um, so the locker room is changing on that respect but on that if you come to the range on tour now Shaka you're probably on a range on tour more than the other two these days the amount of what it's done I think and it's and it's partially you guys' fault by talking about this or the media in general it's all anybody cares about now is how far they hit it mm. that's the only thing they care about when I started mm. playing golf how good you hit it now it was how far do you hit it? What are your number? I mean, guys can quote their trackman numbers. Like, yeah, I mean, they can just quote their smash factor and their ball speed and oh, that was at one seventy seven. I've got to get it up to one seventy nine or I can't compete. You know, like just it, it's it's all anyone talks about. So if if it's just the ball, guys are just going to work it out. I mean, there are guys who gain ten yards in a week just by hitting enough drivers and, di- and messing around with their lofts and their shafts and seeing the ball higher and maximizing that stuff. And it's, it's not only maximizing the conditions, it's that, it's that mindset of it's all about fire, it's all about fire, it's all about fire. If you'd given previous generations their only focus in golf was to hit it a long way, they would have hit it further than they did. But it wasn't the only focus of their golf. So... Guys are going to work it out. Guys are going to find a way because that's it's become it's become the biggest part of golf is how far you hit it. Um, and it never used to be. It used to be an advantage to hit it long, and everyone else hit it normal. You know. Um, so I think it needs to be a if it needs to be well thought out mm. because there's it, it, it needs to be a distance needs to be an advantage but it needs to be a balanced part of the whole game and it's just become the whole focus it seems like on the range now so i think um just needs to be well thought out before anything happens clates mm. do you recall that well 15 20 years ago were you saying to people you know back when you played the european tour in the 80s and 90s did you say to people that the ball goes too far and did they look at you like two heads and is what jeff's saying is that ring true for you the attitude well no because when, when i when i finished playing there we were still playing with the tour ballada right. so it was no one. It, there was never a suggestion the ball was going too far. I mean, obviously, Savvy and Sandy Lyle and Norman, who played there a lot, hit the ball a long way. But no one looked at them and said, "Well, that's ridiculous how far they're hitting the ball." Because you know, the rest of the field hit the ball around the same distance as they do now. I mean, you know, Jeff's an average length player, I guess, on the US Tour, and the, you know, it's just that that distance is forty or fifty yards more than it used to be. So, you know, in part, it's a question of what it, the skill it takes to be a great driver has been greatly diminished by the size of the head, clearly, and the fact the ball doesn't spin. But, I mean, the, you know, the biggest question is to me is what it does to the golf course. The golf course is just – I mean, I hate to see golf played on Melbourne now in the sandbelt. You know, the World Cup at Kingston Heath and 
talk because they're just they're literally pitch and putt courses, and it's just it's horrible to see great courses reduced to literally driving it and wedging it. Still, so, en- still enjoyed by the average golfer, Clades, but you want to watch great players well, take well, on they, great courses, well, don't you? Well, arguably, I mean, I don't think the average player does it the ball any further, but if they do, it's it, it's made the game better for them. But you know, to watch golf played on holes that were designed to be played, the 11th at Kingston Heath, it was a you know three wood or a cut driver and a, and a midline being a driver and a pitch is just it's not interesting. It's not a test of anything. It's you know so. Whilst Augusta can go and I read an article about you know they're talking about buying the ninth hole of Augusta Country Club so they can take the 13th tee back. Um, there was a did you see that that, that um, the column someone wrote in Golf Digest Jeff about you know they were arguing about the price and someone from Augusta Country Club turned the tables and said well how much is your 12th green worth? <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know it's fine for Augusta to go and buy extra land and. But I mean, you know, in Australia and London, and we, we, you don't have the chance to defend the golf courses by spending millions to add extra tees. It just isn't the room. So kind of a dumb but, way to go about it, too, isn't it, Clates? Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> it seems the most expensive way to go about it is to add land. Yeah. But the skill it's taken to drive the ball has been diminishing ever since we went from hickory to steel. Really, I mean, that was when it was a real test. Was and we, you know, we've all played with hickory shafts. So we, you know, you know, how difficult it was to hit the ball flush in the middle with those things. Mm. So persimmon and steel was a massive advance, but to think of what we've got to now is just amazing, really. Extraordinary, Shaq. Here's, here's one for you, and I was listening to Jeff talk there earlier about how distance is the only thing people talk about. Have the manufacturers in a way won? I distinctly recall reading an interview about seven or eight years ago with I think it was a marketing manager from TaylorMade or Callaway whose point he was making was that it doesn't matter what we talk about the only thing that you want to talk about as a club manufacturer is distance 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 it's kind of happened hasn't it they kind of won oh yeah they've won and but they still think that way i mean that's what the average consumer wants and so they're going to keep trying to and they're going to keep doing it by the way even though the governing bodies say they they've got a cap on things uh, they're going to keep innovating, uh, you know. They're 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 going to outsmart them. They always have. And McKenzie said that back to back to what people have always said. Yeah. He, he he said it in the spirit of St Andrews. It, it it'll always be that way. Yeah, so, there's no limit to science. Yep. Yeah, and that's what I like about the variable distance ball concept that they're talking about, which is it's 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 the same thing, only a worse name than our classic ball classic course ball discussion you know vd ball i don't know how they came up with that that's <laughs> that's yeah exactly uh, well i didn't that's me giving it a, 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 an acronym but yeah uh, but it's it's i like it because it's it's just an option it's something you can play at certain courses it's they they've they're going to figure out handicapping ways and all that stuff so i I, and, and and what's wrong with just having a different way to play the game? You know, that's the beauty of golf. That's why now people, I hear young people wanting to try hickories, and they're like, that's just a different thing to try. You know, isn't that fun? And, and what's what's bad about that? The, and But, you know, the outcry will be that uh, this is a, a subversive attempt to, to push a rollback and to take your love of the game away and all that nonsense. And I don't think it will. I think it'll be something that'll be used in a very limited way. And, uh, I mean, somebody was trying to make the argument with me the other day. Well, well you know, how, how many will the company make that if Augusta uses it? I said, well, well, if they put them in the shop, they'll sell 
a lot of balls at the Masters, just just selling it as a novelty item. But um, but I, I I think it's going to happen. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, but let's not be too depressing. Jeff, when you were you were talking about all that, the one thing though that I'm dying to, to hear from you and Clates about, because we have now an explosion of par three courses. Everybody wants to be a par three architect. Jordan Spieth, like that's all Tiger does now are par three courses, and it's it's great. Um, but uh, you guys are doing one in Shady Oaks. But I, I, I'm just curious. What I mean, this is an exciting trend. We've we've moaned about so many things at golf the last years, but now we have everybody. Wanting to add a par three course to their facility or or restoring one, uh, how's the one going at Shady Oaks? Well, um, Mike and I've I've only seen three holes finished. Mike and Ashley, the the, the other C and the M of the OCCM are over there building um, the last six. So I'm not sure, Jeff, if you you saw it at some point in January, I think, but. Um, you know, it's going to be a really cool place to play golf where kids can go and throw balls down anywhere and, and basically play from the middle of the course out to any of the nine greens. And, you know, you know it's just adaptive, fun golf that inventive and use your imagination. And you can play to the ninth green from the other side of the fourth fairway. And it's a great, you know, medium length par four. And just, I mean, golf needs to be adaptive and interesting. And, you know, it just can't be 18 holes of, you know, you can't finish on a par three and, you know, all, all that other stuff that's, you know, just invent small bits of land and make fun. Go- I mean, Jeff, you've played the 13-hole course at Bandon and talk about that one a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, par three, I mean, par, I mean, who doesn't like playing a par three course? I mean, everybody does. Um, you've just got a handful of clubs. You only need a couple of balls. Um, you can play it in no time. And as Clayton says, if they're arranged right, like the horse course thing or like Shady is going to be like this, you're going to be able to really – there's an organized way to go around, but you're really going to be able to go out there and play it, play at any green from any direction, any way you want. Um, and who doesn't want that? That's what you do when you're a kid. That's what I did when I was a kid at least. I mean, I would invent golf holes. I mean, I would – you'd play across fairways to other holes or I'd be just out in the park just hitting balls around trees and just finding different ways to – hit shots that were fun and and who doesn't want to do that when you've got an organized 18 holes with trees up both sides and really no access to anything else or any width or different greens and it does get um it's just it's just not as many uh it's just not as broad it's just a little bit more narrow uh narrow-minded if you like um so part three's are brilliant but just on the, if i can go back to the previous subject just for one second oh um, yeah and this is kind of on it really it, course setup that we play generally and is kind of the trend over here encourages the distancing more. I mean, the, the fairways cut back towards you at Augusta is going to leave 80% of the field leaving the Masters in a week and a half saying, if I want to compete here, I have to hit the ball further. And so for the next 12 months, they're going to go home and try to work out and hit it. Hit it, hit it. Whereas mm. if we played 10 at Riviera 18 times, 72 times, within three weeks we would be calling up while you're on saying i want a ball that spins more because i need i need to move the ball around the air i need it to spin there'll be no one would leave saying they needed to play distance um so it's it's not it's not completely on the manufacturers i think it's as much on course setup overwatering reactive kind of architecture of like putting tees back and slamming bunkers at 300 yards off the tee um it just it promotes that I need to hit the ball long. I mean, if you played three at Kingston Heath or 10 at Royal Melbourne or 10 at Riv or any of 
any number of amazing holes in the world. It's got nothing to do with distance and all about position and control of your ball. If we played 72 holes where that mattered, distance would get back to where it should be um, as a nice advantage to have when you needed to use it. But really, I want a ball that spins and I want a ball that stops and I want a ball that cuts when I want it to and draw when I want it to. Um, so I think is as to blame as anything else. And it might have reacted to the ball, but it's it's racing ahead just as fast as the ball is. Um, anyway. You've accidentally made yeah. an important point there, I think, Jeff Ogley, in as much as, um, you know, well, sure, we, you know, we always talk about distance being a problem. Nobody is saying that um, nobody should be able to hit it further than anybody else. I think that's probably a misconception that some who, who you know, whose first yep. argument is always, why don't we just go back to hickories and, and feathers? Oh, uh, yeah. But, but, Never heard that one before. No, but, <laughs> but I suppose the point to be made is that distance should still be important. It's just that it's just a relative thing, isn't it, Jeff? So the variable distance golf ball is an interesting idea because uh, you and I could actually go and play golf with a vari- variable distance ball and not have that issue that Adam Scott talked about last year is when he plays with his mates, he has to walk 40 yards back to the back tee and then he still hits it 50 yards further than them. And that as a social um, aspect of golf, where's the fun in that for anybody? Yeah, well, it is. It's very difficult. Um, It's difficult to kind of go play a normal course, if you like. It's not, like, geared for us. Um, Do you play much with with non-tour players? Normal golfers. Um, Yeah, I do. I play quite a lot. I mean, Whisper Rock is where we play mostly in Arizona. is kind of to a distance, I would have said. It's way over 7,000 yards and uh, plays relatively soft early in the year and then kind of about now, like getting towards summer, they kind of turn the irrigation up a little bit and it firms up and it's great. But it does start playing very, very short for me. Um, But, yeah, the distance difference between us and the average, even, say, scratch handicapper is is Mm. enormous. Um, But, I mean, it's probably always been big, but it's... It's pretty enormous now, yeah. Mm, it's um, yeah. And so, Jeff, do you see the social the the the, the argument they may, or we think they're going to make, which is that so you play Whisper Rock with uh, with a couple of three handicappers and 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 one other tour player, and and, and you all can play the same tees, but you play that ten percent ball, and maybe you give one less shot aside or something. The handicap system kind of figures it out if you guys are even doing that, but. Do you see that? Do you think that that argument has merit, or do you think that's just uh, uh, something that won't won't happen? Because I got to be honest, I got a lot of feedback when I kind of first presented that to people. Or like, yeah, we have we have groups, we have a group of uh, twelve golfers on Saturdays, and we're all over the map, and we all play different tees, and that would that would be cool. So I, you know, I was excited to hear people actually responded. But why are we way. spending millions of dollars to do what the handicap system has always done? Mm. Um, and it used to be pretty good at it. Um, I, I think it's more. I think there's more factors to it than just the ball. Is I think course setup is very important um, because I think over the long term, properly set up golf courses with interesting architecture would make us. As I said, we would we would not focus on distance as much as we do, and we would start demanding equipment that played the courses we were playing. Um, which is what all we've really done is demand equipment that suits the courses we play, which are really, really long and really reward smashing a ball 300 yards in the air a long way in the air. Um, and the manufacturers have been really, really amazing at providing that for us. Um, I, 
that is obviously a massive factor, but I don't think it's the only factor. And I think if I went out to go play, uh, you're going to get guys saying, well, it's not fair, he beat me, but his ball was going further. You know, I, I, I'd rather just play with, I'd rather play with the same stuff that the other guy is playing with and just have the sensible handicaps. I would just like our games to be closer together. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to defend it or anything. I just, I don't think it's just as simple as the ball. Because as I said, from what I see on the range and in the gym van every week on tour is that guys are just going to work it out. They're just going to find a way. Um, oh, sure. It's just that the, the ball is always the easiest thing to, to, to control. I mean, TrackMan, I think, has just not been explained enough to people how profound an impact that has. But it could, as you laid out earlier in kind of a, uh, a certain way, it could also be... Uh, Fatal. You could overuse TrackMan. You could you could overthink things. You could you could really mess up your game if it's not used properly. Um, you know, and that's kind of why I'm I'm not threatened by. That's why I like it. I think it's a fascinating tool, and when people use it well, and when people don't use it well, it's taught us a lot. I mean, the 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 other side of the thing is TrackMan. I mean, video camera was really just a better set of eyes, but you were still just looking at someone's swing. TrackMan is actually telling you what the swing is doing. It's not you're not seeing the swing. It's actually telling you what's happening. And it's co- golf coaching was always kind of like there were theories all over the place and methods and different ways to go about it and different things, even up to kind of 10 years ago. But the last sort of sort of 10 years, coaching has kind of come together. And these coaches, there's a lot of really good coaches. And these kids don't come out still learning how to play. They come out with better actions than I've ever seen. And they're 20. Um, and they're no more talented than anyone was 50, you know, 20 years ago. That's just a non-argument. So they're getting coached better and they understand the golf swing better and they know how to get the club on the ball better. Um, and they know TrackMan is – and they're doing that and they're, because they're working on it with a distance mind and an impact mind, which is probably the way we should have always worked on golf is from, from impact and what the ball is what, – what this impact position makes the ball do. It's the knock-on effect of that. The coaching has got great. Everybody swings it great, and everybody knows how the body is supposed to work to make TrackMan show good numbers. So they work in the gym more effectively as opposed to going in there with an with kind of I'll just get stronger, I'll hit it further. And they actually go in with a true idea or like a roadmap of my body needs to do this to make the club do this because now we know exactly what the club needs to do. You can take the steps back from that and kind of. It's like a, it's like working on a car, I guess. I mean, you just they're just all the parts have been polished, and now it's all understood. Um, that just the horsepower is coming, um, and the techniques are coming. I mean, these there are so many. When I first got on tour, there was about three swings you would look at and go, "Oh, that's a great swing," but everyone else would be like, "Oh, he does this or he does this." Now there's 50 swings that I want to watch every week that are just textbook, um, and I think TrackMan has, I think TrackMan has done that because it's. It's it's aligned all these theories that golf world has had for so long. It's lined them all up, and it's it's proven some theories right, it's proven some wrong, and it's as I said, it's given everyone a roadmap of like this is where you are, this is where you need to get. TrackMan doesn't lie, so just work on this, and you'll hit the ball better. And you do. It's it's an incredible tool. It's amazing. It's great because it's who doesn't want to see great swings on the range? I mean, everybody wants to see great swings. Do That's you, part of the fun of golf is watching great swings. Do you use it much, Jeff? And has it changed the way you approach the game at all? I don't own one. Um, I think for someone who tends to get analytical um, to a detriment, 
it could be toxic for me, but I've used one a lot. Um, it's kind of the uniform on tour now. If you're less than 30 years old, um, everyone's got that little kind of foamy briefcase that they walk on the range and they set their track mount up in the morning and the caddy holds their phone and kind of yells the numbers out as they're hitting balls. Um, I would have said at least 30% of guys on tour are own, who won't, won't hit balls without them. Wow. Um, really? Why hit crazy. balls without it? It seems that way. I mean, yeah. maybe they do, but yeah. it seems that way. If there's, if there's 30 guys on the range, 10 guys have their track man behind them, minimum, bare minimum, even warming up in the morning. Um, so it's become it's become like all those other training, like the weighted club and the, whatever, the guys will just always put in their bag and always use, or guys will always carry their track man, put it down behind their bag of balls and just hit balls. Um, and it's an amazing tool. I mean, it's not just a launch monitor. I mean, you can program it to it'll spit you out yardages for your wedges it'll just say hit it 75 and you'll hit it and you'll go, oh they went 70 hit it 82 and you'll hit it oh they went 81 and like it'll, it can spit you out 50 different distances in and and you have to hit it when it tells you how far to hit it and you start kind of really dialing in your distance of wedges and stuff i mean it's it's an amazing tool it's an incredible thing mm. Yeah, no doubt about it. Clay, it is an amazing piece of technology, which obviously you didn't have when you were playing. Has it taken some of the romance out of the game or has it taken some of the skill out of the game when you can stand with the track man for an hour and it can tune you in to hit a 74-yard wedge should you need it? I don't know. What do you reckon? No, I, no, I, well, I just wrote a piece for a magazine here about rangefinders and the, the question of using those. And I think I, I equated them to GPS maps and modern phones. I mean, modern phones, I don't know anyone's phone number now because I just mm. flick it up on my phone and I press the number. I don't look at what the number is. And you put a GPS map in and you'll get to a place, but you don't remember to turn left at the service station and turn right at the Red Rooster and go three streets down to the house with the big tree in the corner and go right there. And you don't, So you can, if you went to a golf tournament and you used your GPS map to get to the golf course every day, if one day you didn't have it, you couldn't get there. Whereas 20 years ago, you could because you would know to turn left at the service station. And so rangefinders, I think, have taken away the ability of kids to look at a shot and judge a shot without having a number in their head. So I think in, in the end, that'll be the debt. I mean, whilst you'll still get there, as you get there with a, with, with a, with a GPS map, we're beating out of ourselves the ability to instinctively look at a shot or look at a hole, look at a green, and judge what sort of shot will get there, and, and j judging how to hit it with the right force. It's just, it's 150, it's an 8-iron, and you hit it. Whereas Peter Thompson would have stood there and said, well, it looks like an 8-iron shot, I can hit a soft 7, or maybe I can hook a hard 9 in there. Or So, so I think, you know, if, if we continue to just simply rely on a range finder for distances, then you'll find you'll beat all the instinct out of... Because the instinct's something you have to develop, and if you don't develop it, you'll you'll never have it. So do you, do, you, know, do you need instinct if you've always get, if you're gonna if you're always gonna have a range finder for the rest of your life? You don't need to know that how to get anywhere anymore in your car because you know you're always gonna have your Google Maps or your GPS. Like you, so, yes. is it think that we need? Well, it right. I mean, maps are great. I, I mean, I'm I'm not saying they're a bad thing. They're a good thing. But you never develop that sense of finding somewhere or a sense of direction. So in golf, you know, if you're always just, you know, when you start from when you're 11 years old with a range finder, that's 150. You know, you never learn to look at a green 
in the distance and say, that looks like a five-iron shot, and hit it 20 yards over the green, so you're okay, that didn't work. So, okay, and you just learn how to play the game by looking, and, you know, you develop a great instinct for playing it and judging distance. And, you know, I mean, I mean when you've seen cricket and football, obviously, when that guy stands in the boundary with a cricket ball throwing it back to the, back to the wicketkeeper, he doesn't know how far it is. He, he just... You know, it's it's an instinct that's been trained over years of throwing the ball to throw it, you know, at exactly the right distance. Or how to kick a football, you know, an AFL footballer doesn't know if it's, you know, 28 metres or 31. He just knows how hard to kick the ball to get it to the player down the field further down. So my only question is, you know, do you just never train kids to judge and look at a shot and judge it without first knowing the number? And And that can't be a good thing for... You know, if you want to be the best player in the world, you've got to have a great innate sense of judgment that just can't be formed through playing golf by numbers. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's the better like kids at school. Right? I mean, this, in 20 years' time, kids, at, grown-ups aren't going to be able to use a pen or write because they don't. Well, have I to can't do write it. now. I'm, I'm, I can't <laughs> you never could. Anymore. Your handwriting's always been disgraceful, though. In fairness, well, it's always been terrible. I mean, that's another great example. I pick a pen up. I'm just horrible. Because you spent all your time on a computer, so you just learn the skill of handwriting. Well, horrible. Do, do you but hold it like ter- a do you hold do, it like a do, hammer, like I see a lot of young people do? No, seriously, no, kids but, hold but, pens yeah, like a hammer. It's extraordinary. Wow, yeah, do they? Yeah, some do. Yeah, yeah I've seen it. Sorry, Jeff, you were saying something there. But I mean, if if you're never going to need a pen, I mean, for the rest of humanity, if we don't need to write, that, that, that's a skill like skills gone past of like riding a horse or whatever that we just you, I, yeah. I, I'm not missing that I don't know how to ride a horse, you know, but because I get to my car every morning, it, I get to where I want to go. So um, I'm, I, I agree. I think the best golfers in the world, if you want to be the best golfer in the world, you've got to have instincts. You've got to have feels. I mean, Tiger doesn't hold that putt on the last hole at Torrey Pines to get in the playoff without great instincts. It's got nothing to do with reading it by percentage of slope. It's just whatever it is that Tiger worked out that none of us have. Like it's that, there's a there's an innate feel or an instinct for what that ball was going to do, which is not a distance thing, but the same type of thing. So, I mean, to be the the best, I think you do, and you're probably right um, in that there's certain instincts. I, I mean, when I play out there now, my, I, I let, send my caddy off to get the numbers. I hit it up the first fairway, and I'm in the left side of the fairway. He, he runs off to the sprinkler heads to get all the numbers. I try to call the number to him. Before he tells it to me, how good to are you? Keep, how good are you? Pretty good, actually. Um, I've been doing it for a long time. I used to do it with squirrel all the time. Um, if it's un, if it's less than two hundred yards, I usually get within three or four. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. And I would kind of do it like I would do it back. I would do it the way Clates would do it. Clates would say, "This looks like a five iron shot." You know, mm-hmm. um, which is really the right way to do it. What club do I want to hit? Oh, I think I want to hit a five iron, but it doesn't look like I have to hit it that hard. So maybe it's probably not 200, maybe it's 194, okay. you know, and, and you can actually mm. get pretty close. So I'm conscious of that and I'm constantly trying to tune that instinct. But as you say, the kids, if they've never, if you've never had the instinct or you've never actually tuned it, um, that skill might not be there. And they probably will be missing, but maybe they won't. I mean, as I said, my life isn't worse off because I don't know how to ride a horse, you know, or whatever one of those options. You don't know that. Maybe No, but I think you need it in golf. I mean, you don't need it 
to, to find your place and my place or you don't need it to write because you can type and, and you don't need to know phone numbers anymore because they're all on your phone. But in golf, you need that instinct, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, look at that judgment. I mean, Peter Thompson's been his whole career just looking at a target and training his hands to hit the ball to that target. You know, he, did, he didn't have a number in his head. It looks like a little low bouncing forearm and he would do that. So, and, and, and I guess that goes back to, you know, we've gone around the circle now, but but it goes back to how the golf courses are set up because, you, you know, you, you don't often need to hit a low bouncing forearm that lands 30 yards short of the green and runs up. You just take a forearm and fly to the flag and stop it and go to the next hole. That's another thing, yeah. Soft, soft kind of setups yeah. encourage golf by numbers because the ball yeah. doesn't do it when it lands. It's quite easy to at a point to tune in how far you fly the ball, but it's a, a complete different thing to work out how far it's going to roll when it lands, and that affects flight and shape and where you land it. And yeah, I think course setups blame there a little bit. Well, that, none of which has got anything to do with the Masters, but fascinating stuff. <laughs> Just the last thing on that, I suppose it's partly about romance, what you're talking about here, Clates. And- well, well, wait, there is one thing about the Masters in, in that discussion that's interesting, Ron. They will never, ever let anybody use a rangefinder in the Masters, <laughs> you're, ever. Absolutely, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so how long before they have rangefinders on the tour? Oh, they're trialing well, it this year. Well, Web.com and Latin They're going to test it. The commissioner yeah. likes the uh, look that the guys are uh, embracing technology and, and won't speed up play at all. And and uh, the worst is when you go, Clates, to a college tournament where they pushed so hard for this. And, yeah. and the players only use it as like a as a double check. They still do yardages the old-fashioned way. They'll just yeah. pull it out sometimes. just Or if they blow one in the other fairway, it, it does speed up play then. But otherwise, they do yardages the old-fashioned way, and then they pull it out and get a little last-minute uh, zap of the pin, and they go, "Okay, yeah, I had the right, I had the right yardage." That's that's so. It actually I, slows I, down. Play. I think the I, tour is aware of that side of things, and I'm I would be very surprised if we ever end up using rangefinders. He's testing it because that's what's coming out in the USGA rules kind of ideas. Um, but I, I'm the feeling I get from the tour is we're not going to do it because you're exactly right. We still want to book anyway. So yeah, so so I think you can have one or the other, but not both. And no one's taking a rangefinder over a book. That's a great solution, Clates. That really is a brilliant solution. You can have one or the other. Yep. One or the other, and no one's using a rangefinder versus yeah. a book, so that kills it. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Yeah. Um, although you, what you've missed there, Shaq, of course, the appeal for the PGA Tour. You could now have a leaderboard, but not only a Titleist logo to suggest Titleist usage, but a Bushnell logo to suggest the Bushnell usage for that particular player on their... Uh... Don't give them ideas, <laughs> right? Don't, don't do that. The boxes are just going to get uh, bigger. Do you, do you ever use a uh, range for <sighs> Jeff or Jeff Ogilvy? Um, I use it all the time at home. Yeah. Um, you play for different... Well, not all the time. I usually just uh, get someone who's somewhere near me to say, how far did you have? <laughs> yeah. Um, usually. I mean, I have... They give us one every year, usually... Bushnell do to give the plug, um, and I look. I use them a little bit, but all the caddies uh, have them, don't they? The caddies all have the caddies them. all have them, and the caddies are doing them in practice to just check the yeah. like validity of the numbers in the book, and maybe add an extra number here or there. But the books are so incredible now. I mean, there you can. When I first started, again, when I didn't start that long ago, the books were great when I started. But you still needed to play a practice round. I would have said 80% of the tournaments out here now, if you hit a few putts on the putting room before you went out, you could play almost any course blind with as good as these books are. Um, they're astonishing. 
um, astonishing the books. It's it's just amazing how much how much good information there is compared to. I mean, you used to have to interpret the book. Um, now it's just incredible. Um, but yeah, the caddies use them to just double check all the numbers and maybe get a couple of extra ones here and there. But even as the as the books have got better, you see less and less. Uh, range finders even in practice or they're they're always around the caddy's waist or on the belt or hanging off the bag but guys don't use them as much because the books are so good the whole world's just um, i think you're, you're approaching grumpy old hey, category jeff over you're not there yet, yeah i mean you're getting I, up that but uh, welcome to the club <laughs> yeah and i and i hate to add one more topic on this uh, this old man conversation but it is going to be an interesting discussion jeff um, do you use these these books that that do these colorized, uh, detailed renderings of the greens that that a lot of the players now pull out before a putt? Do you do you have you used one of those? Um, I bought one a couple of times just for interest's sake. Um, I don't know how you can read a green out of a book. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, just for interest's well, sake. Heard- they're incredible what they show you. I don't know if you make any more putts yeah. when you have but it's incredible what it shows you. I think there is big talk about banning those. Um, yeah, I've, that's why I brought it up. I, I, I've heard the governing bodies don't don't like the look at all and don't like the pace of play element. And But I don't know if they have a basis for banning them. Well, I know. That's the thing. I, mean, you, I guess you draw in the line, line in the sand somewhere. If you ban that, why don't you just ban the artist book? Yeah, ban- right. Yeah, how ban- are they different? Um, I what's to stop a guy making his own one? You know, mm. um, I it's I don't think that's to Clayton's point with his point about instinct. I mean, you wouldn't Ben Crenshaw and Brad Faxon and <laughs> yeah, they'd never use one. Yeah. They, Bobby Locke, Bob Charles, they read the green, but they just walked on it and they knew what the, what the ball was going to do. They might not have been out of like tell you how much slope there was and exactly where that was starting. From. They knew. How, how they had to hold the putt or how it had to feel and what sort of speed kind of in that kind of feel language to make putts because they made putts their whole career without any of that stuff. So I don't think you actually, to get truly great, I don't think that is the best way to get great. It would be like driving somewhere. I mean, to be a great navigator, you wouldn't use a GPS. You, you would be like a London taxi driver, right? You would just drive the streets until you knew all the streets. I mean, that's the proper way to learn how to drive around the roads, right? Um, you use a GPS all the time, but you never learn the skill to what direction you're pointing and, and where I turn for this and where I turn for that. And it's a bit similar with green reading. If you learn, you're never actually going to learn those skills of feeling it with your feet and seeing the high points and the low points and the dark, the dark color and the light color and all that stuff that the great green readers just take in all that information and they just somehow work out how to hit the putt. I think, I think it's the wrong direction for golf, so maybe it'll just work itself out because I don't think anyone's going to become a better putter because they use a greens book. Um, so I don't think it's actually going to affect scores that much, but it does it does slow play down. So it is potentially a, um, a pace of play. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. I don't like them. They're crazy. I mean, it's, it's, they're actually – I mean, I don't know if Plates and Rod probably haven't seen one, but – there's a picture of the green with all the percentage of slopes on it. It has a little green bit, a green kind of cone, if you like, going away from the hole or a certain position and a, a red one. And they're going to, if you buy this book with, I don't know, a few hundred dollars a week at least, um, yeah. they'll, they'll give you the new one every morning 
with the pin positions and tell you exactly where you need to hit it and have putts that are inside the hole parts. So the uphill inside the hole part and the downhill inside the hole part, there'll be a kind of little kind of cone away from where the hole is. If you hit it there or there in the green bit or the red bit, the green bit's an uphill part that's inside the hole or the red bit's a downhill part that's inside the hole. Wow. And it shows you where to hit it to have a straight putt. Wow. Um, amazing thing. Incredible. Mm. And but and they, mean, you know part of, and Clay this will drive you nuts but you know they they give out the whole location information for the next day the rule staff now uh, the night before they give it to the PGA Tour media team and so now these people can get that information they they make clear they reserve the right to change a hole because of whatever weather yeah. agronomy but so so these guys now are able to do that they're able to map it all out you know there's none of that spontaneity of of kind of walking out there and figuring out the whole locations when you get the pin sheet and all that, which is, I think, kind of an interesting art. But I, So that's I, another I, element. I'm not dubbing anyone in, but I actually have some insiders on the PGA, the, the media tent, who send me the pin sheet every night. Mm. So I get, I, do I, you I, really? And yeah. you look it over just, just to kind of... I, I don't do it. I didn't really ask for it, but there's a couple of guys who just send it out to all their, like, Player huh. friends. This is the pins, yeah. and the cat. I think the caddies actually all get them the night before somehow. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're always yeah. on Twitter in the morning, aren't they? Anyway, so, um, yeah, well, I think well, yeah. Morrow's pins on Twitter already if they've decided them. Um, yeah, so I, mean, I don't know whether I agree. And I mean, what's the difference between the first team and the, the night before? I mean, I don't know, but um, it is as everything else in the world is just a, and a data it's all about data and the more information data, I mean, it's just it's taking over the world how much information can you have yeah absolutely look we didn't get to talk much about the masters but i'm sure we're all looking forward to it aren't we it's uh, <laughs> it'll, it'll be an interesting talk well they didn't change the course right no which is and, nice and uh you know yeah i mean the only thing that jeff telegraphed that is interesting is now although i think the guys who stay in houston on monday in a weird way that's not going to be the end of the world jeff because they'll be playing golf monday if the storm hits because i I, the last time I looked, the weather forecast for Augusta Monday was a 100% chance of of rain, which is really kind of amazing this many day outs, the days out. So, well, that would be the storm, this storm that we're getting, or the day of right, Sunday. Houston on Sunday will be in Augusta on Monday. So, yeah, you're right. They won't miss out. But I think for guys like – it's probably a blessing for guys like Adam and Henrik. They didn't want to miss the cut, but they get to – I mean, I'm sure Scotty and Henrik have – Power yeah. up the they're probably already there tonight, and they'll be out there tomorrow. They get, they'll get all day tomorrow and Sunday, where they might not have if they made, and they might have even missed Monday if they had missed made the cut. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, there's some maybe a blessing for a couple of those guys who are guys who are contenders next week to miss the cut. But yeah, I, I see Monday's going to be a write off there. Just last thing on that, just about the Masters, and Jeff Ogilvie, I'll get your thoughts on this because I think it's really interesting, and I know he's a player that you're interested in. When Spieth missed the cut, really interesting comment from him that. We know him and Grella as the team when we get there that something along the lines of that others fear us at Augusta. So it's not a problem having missed the cut this week. Gee, it sounded bold and unlike Jordan Speed. Can we take anything from that? He almost sounded throwing the gauntlet down. Others have a fear of us at Augusta. It was a bizarre comment. He said that today? Yeah, after he missed the cut. Let me find the quote while you, wow. while you digest that. That's bold. It was really bold and it was confronting, in fact. Uh, here we go. I just got to open up the story that I wrote because I'll put the quote in there. Uh, well, he's probably trying. It's probably a little sports psychology. He's trying to yeah. uh, 
help himself out with that comment a little bit. Yeah, that's um, what it sounded like. We know, we know on the other players that are playing, no, we strike fear in others next week. So that's our idea. That's going to be my confidence level. Going. Strike we'll, fear. We'll step on the first <laughs> tee ready to play. So I hope he's being quoted accurately there because, yeah, that, I just, it just anyway, I wait for that. No need for you to comment on that, Jeff. There's only trouble ahead on that road. But uh, it was interesting. The other thing I was going to ask you about, Jeff, of course, Adam missing the cup this week. A lot of people will talk about that down here. At your level, it's only ever one good swing away, isn't it? Something clicks and the player that missed the cup this week you know, shoots 15 under next week. It, it's it's no cause for panic, is it, for a guy like Adam or Henrik that they've missed the cut, or Jordan? I would think so. I mean, um, Adam just... Adam's made a career out of, like, water off a duck's back when he plays bad. I mean, the amount of times he's missed the cut and won the next week, I don't know, but it's a lot. Um, he's always kind of had that bulletproof confidence like that. He doesn't seem to carry a bad week forward he kind of knows he's a good player he knows he plays well at Augusta and he'll go there feeling just as good as if he played well here probably because he's just that he's got that gift um Mickelson's got that gift too of just kind of shaking off bad play um but Augusta's a different animal than most golf tournaments it's you always see those same guys who play well there um play well every year and I don't think Henrik's done too well there in the past really for as good as he is but um Generally, I think Jordan's only ever played in the last group on Sunday. Mm, it's so, staggering. To be fair, his track record is pretty impressive there. And you would think just purely on memory, even if his form's not good, by Thursday morning you think his form's probably going to be all right because he's he's only ever played well at that tournament. Um, it's, it's such an experienced course and such a course that uh, it's a big-time players tournament, right? I mean... And the cream rises to the top for the old cliche. I mean, it happens. I mean, it's true. Um, so I think anyone who you thought was one of the favourites a week ago is still one of the favourites. doesn't matter what, how they played this week. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree with you. Anyone watching the, other, the first major of the year? Yes, have been. Uh, what Going on this week in we Palm Springs? No. And what's, what's the latest <clears throat> update, Craig? I imagine you've had it on in the background. Oh, well, they got... They got blown off the course off yesterday. yesterday so. that was, did you see the trees down? That was, what's the worst storm you've ever been in, Jeff Ogilvy? There were trees down on the golf course. Well, they're only lousy Australian gum trees. Yeah, I know. I know that. <laughs> 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 they, they still kill you if they fall on your clates. That's the point. Serious storm. Uh, yeah, so it's been pretty bad here in Australia. Yes, we have been watching the first major of the year in answer to your question, Clades, but I'm not sure what's been happening while we've been uh, on the phone. Jeff, we must let you go. You've got a Houston Open to win so that you can go to Augusta National next week and use all of that experience and the stuff you've been telling us about today uh, to have a crack at a green jacket. But we do thank you. Halfway through a tournament, it's extremely generous of you to talk to us. Appreciate it. No worries. Jeff Shackleford, you don't have a Houston right, Open to win, but yep. you do have to get to Augusta through Armageddon, so that'll be no doubt a trial in itself. Thank you for your time. Well, today. I'm thank mercifully I'm leaving uh, tomorrow, so I can be there for the drive, chip, and putt, uh, and uh, before the storm arrives. So, and that gets me it gives me a chance to go. Well, I get to see the holes from the, the clubhouse. Yeah, you, you've been <laughs> to the drive, chip, they and putt. They don't let before. us go out of the, yeah. Yeah, that looks like a hoot. Oh yeah, I love it. It's yeah. a great event. The kids are unbelievable. Yeah. They're unbelievable. You can't. You just can't fathom. I, I I know I don't want to sound like an old man, but they throw them out <laughs> into this situation. These kids who've never been there before, and they've performed. I mean, I've seen almost no just just embarrassing shots. It's amazing. You just think, well, somebody's going to just make a fool of themselves. And these kids are just they're they're they're. It's awe inspiring, really, to be thrown out on that place and to perform. Hit a hit a 
you know, a 200 yard drive into the wind when you're, when you're uh, 12 years old and Charles Schwartzel and Adam Scott and Trevor Immelman and all these former winners are standing there on the range watching you. I mean, I've seen that multiple times and it just blows my mind. So it's really cool. Well, Shaq, I see that kid, Lucy Lee, who yep. played in that. Oh, unbelievable. She's now, she's tied for 36th in the Craft Nabisco, one under par after yeah. 26 How holes, playing with Michelle Wee. Yep. Pretty <laughs> impressive. Is she the only yeah. only player at a U.S. Open of either gender to eat an ice cream in a press conference? Yes. Did you eat an yes. ice cream in your U.S. Open <laughs> winner's press conference? You know, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> She may be actually. That's a that was a stagger. I remember watching it. She's just standing there with it like any kid would, you know, chatting away to the press. No, it was amazing. It was, yeah. And she won that drive chip and putt too, I think, didn't she? So it's uh, yeah, she yeah, she won it two years ago. Yeah, fantastic. And, and you can bet there are two hundred kids in Korea just as good as she is. Yeah, well, no doubt. Clates, always a pleasure to talk to you as well. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for organising Thanks, Jeff mate. to come and chat to us. All right, Jensen. Uh, thank that, you, Jeff. That wraps up episode seventy-one of State of the Game. Enjoy the Masters next week. We will, and we'll try and come back sooner than this time to do it all again next time here on State of the Game. State of the Game is a Talk and Golf production. Theme music, Writer's Retreat, provided by Lloyd Cole. Visit www.lloydcole.com for more information. For more golf podcasts, log on to www.talkandgolf.com.